Welcome to season two of Tell Me Something Good About Retail. I'm your host, Bob Fibbs, the Retail Doctor. You can find out more about me by going to retaildoc.com, where you'll find out I'm one of the foremost experts on brick and mortar retailing. Every week, I invite guests, vendors, and brick and mortar retailers to share their successes and their innovations to make the shopping experience fun. I believe we can change the world by those who are working in shopping and retail, so let's get to our first guest. Thanks for joining me on this episode as I speak to John and Gila Kurtz, founders of Dog Is Good. It's a pet products company based in Los Alamitos, California. I sat down with them while attending the Sweet World Convention in Las Vegas last week, where they discussed taking their brand from concept to product, how they support their brick-and-mortar retailers, and staying focused on their goals. Thanks for joining me on this week's podcast. We are meeting with John and Gila Kurtz, co-founders of Dog is Good. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks. So tell me, who are you and what do you have to do with retail? You can start first, John. Sure. Dog is Good is a brand for dog lovers, not to be confused with a pet products company. So our relationship to retail, we sell products for dog lovers, apparel, gifts, accessories, home decor, into retail space, into retail establishments. As That's our primary revenue driver, though we have multiple revenue streams. As you can tell, John's a bit of an analytical. And uh, Gila, what would you add to that? I would add, as a lifestyle brand for dog lovers, um, the, the thing that we do best is celebrate the dog-human connection and make available to the consumer um, their first two minutes home. That's in essence what we sell into the retail stores, giving retailers an opportunity to create amazing experiences for their dog-loving customers. One of my favorite shirts of yours. It's all fun and games till someone ends in a cone or something like that. Yes, right? a dog is good original trademark property and. Did you catch artists. that? So don't put that on your own T-shirt, <laughs> yeah, folks. Yeah, yeah, don't it's even trademark. Try. Don't even try. Yeah, anyone who's had a dog, we all know that that is the impossible uh, uh, thing is, and, and they don't. They hate you because they don't understand what happened and they can't see. Yeah. Right. Right, and dog lovers get it. Yeah, right, exactly. They just light up when they, when they see that sentiment. No, you're a customer. So I know, Gila, you're a dog trainer. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. When you met, though, you were not a dog trainer, if I remember correctly. You live up in Washington or something, right? When John and I met, yeah. when John and I, met I was actually a high school teacher. I was teaching history and psychology at a high school in Glen Burnie, Maryland, and I met him at a bid for bachelor auction. Fundraising I, event for the March of Dimes where I purchased him for $75. I, yeah, I thought I read that. Yes. He, bought you. he loves to say, yeah. I purchased him, and he's been paying for it ever since. Oh, yes. yeah, I love that. <laughs> I love that. But 30, 30 years, years later, but here we are. So uh, through his military journeys, we went uh, around about ways, ended up in Washington, where uh, as a trainer, I was at a conference and saw this need for um, products for the pet lover because there weren't any and I was dying to have some and so came home from that conference that day and said hey you know there was this thing there but it didn't really resonate with me and we both decided hey we should we should do this but you're still in the service when she comes back and says that right yes yes (laughs) so the idea started then but the business didn't right and what what we saw was at at that point and and that was 2004 perhaps 2005 okay Uh, 
thereabouts. Um, you missed the roll of the eyes, folks. Yeah. That was worth everything. Yes. So what, what we had what we had seen as dog owners was the humanization of pets that had been going on, right? And it was growing and growing and growing, and we knew that it was going to be a place to be yeah. somewhere in that realm. And we didn't have industry experience. We just knew that something was happening with the humanization, which probably started in the 90s. And we're kind of fond of saying, you know, if you go back to when we grew up, that since then the dog has moved from the backyard to the bedroom and now in fact into the bed. And there's, it's, it's not a trend, it's a cultural shift that's taken place and we need to get in the way of that and, and let us ride smartly with Absolutely. It. Well, you guys down in Los Alamitos, I used to be the CMO of It's a Grand Coffee, which started oh, sure. like oh, yeah. very far, not yeah. very far from you. Oh, right around, right around the corner. That's right, right around the corner from you guys. And we always used to joke, and I left It's a Grind in like 2004, and we would joke, we are in the wrong damn business. We should have been in the dog something business yes. with a collar, without people, without recipes, without having to be there at 5 a.m. that uh, we could see the same thing. And Louise, who uh, was one of the co-founders was really big in rescue so she would come to work with some natty little animal that she found and then like you know two days later it would come back and would look pretty but it was the same thing you hadn't really reached that critical mass of owning or showing that dog uh which i almost said dog and cat which I appreciated, just sideline, their Instagram yesterday was, um, for April Fool's Day, was cat is good or something, which was hysterical. To so you're there in Los Alamitos, you formed this 15 years ago, is that right? You're in 15 years? No, this is our 11th year. 11 year. Mm -hmm. So um, how did you decide, um, you know, so you have the idea, and you could have opened stores like Life is Good Guys, or other, you could say, I'm going to do that. You could just license the idea and said, well, we'll go and do this. But you decided to actually manufacture and then wholesale it, because you don't have your own stores, right? You're wholesaling this Correct. to Correct. other uh, pet businesses. So what was the difference in thought there? So in the beginning, it was easier to begin to test ideas, test the messaging, because the company is a message-driven brand. Yeah. The messages can go on any product. It doesn't really matter what the product is, quite honestly. But to test it out, and this was all new territory for us to begin with. We didn't quite know really what we were going to do right from the get-go. We knew we wanted to create a brand. We didn't necessarily have it dialed into the methodology in which uh -huh. it would grow. And so to test, yeah, to test the... Um, validity behind it, we just started to do events at local markets, create a product and went direct to consumer and started to see what was resonating. And it was at those events that uh, people said, oh, you need to be in stores. And so that's where we did decide to move into the wholesale business. Okay. And what we discovered very quickly was because we were about the dog lover, that our product line could be in any retail vertical not just pet Point. or gift or yeah. resort, but a number of uh, retail verticals. So what was that moment when you got your first big account? Um, it was a was, catalog company. Yeah, that was, uh, can we say stores named company names? Yeah. Okay, yeah, Potpourri Group, which owns, as one of their many properties, in the company of dogs, which is, I would say, the foremost mail order and online. Okay, so catalog. how'd you get it? Uh, the buyer came by our booth at a wholesale show. It was the Super Zoo trade show sure. and loved it and gave us this huge order, which was our very first order. And 
I was beside myself because John was also retiring at the same time that we had to all deliver this product. So he was going through a retirement from the Navy. We had to move from our beautiful home on the Navy base into a, into a new location. And we had our na we had this assembly we, we, we line. We were still working out yeah, of the house. Yeah, we were working out of our home. And we had an assembly line of all of our neighbors helping to put together, based on their routing guides, what was required to deliver product. And we didn't have a UPS account per se that came and picked up and that sort of thing because so we, we, we had just Cerritos to right. the UPS center Absolutely. so we had you know a couple trips with the SUV because mm -hmm. it was it was a very big order I mean to this day it would be considered a Order. So what I love about entrepreneurs, that's exactly the way it starts, is um, a friend of mine, she, uh, or one of my earliest clients 30 years ago, and she did hand-painted uh, vases, glass vases. Mm. And, um, sorry, I can't remember your name, but um, she, uh, on a whim, decided, you know, um, I'm right in the backyard of Nordstrom, South Coast Plaza. I'll just, she, so she takes a cardboard box, she just puts a selection of 12 women with a note would love for you to carry my product. The buyer gets it amazingly, calls him and like, here's the order. And she's a one woman operation and they want it all by Christmas and this was July and the same thing. But what I think is interesting in both that case and yours is, you didn't say, oh, we can't do that. Or, oh, can we wait, right? You, you strike with the eyes hard, right? Of course. Absolutely. Because yeah. I think a lot of people kind of uh, can back away from success and I think that's, uh, you know, my listeners are all kinds of people in retail from CEOs and mom and pops and manufacturers and IT people and all kinds of things. But ultimately, you're able to push past that fear, um, certainly at that moment, but also more importantly, you've had other decisions along that line as well, right? Because yeah. you have contracts with people you're having to go out and... So one of the other retail avenues that we've um, put into place in the past 18 months grew out of uh, kind of uh, organically requests from our fans out there, other dog lovers who wanted to have a retail business for themselves, okay. but not a brick and mortar. And so we created our Dog is Good pop-up shop business opportunity. And as that started to snowball and has grown expansively, as well as adding uh, more stores, now you get into a, a situation where you're challenged to keep enough inventory right. in stock and ensure that your suppliers, our suppliers, have inventory in stock um, to, manage, to manage all of that. What would you say for you? I would say, like most small businesses, cash flow of course, is always right. the biggest challenge. And we're at a, <clears throat> we're at a point <clears throat> I'm sorry, where we're sort of in between. And we know that this brand, this company, the, the avenues we haven't even pursued yet that we know, but that we know are worthwhile, that's all yet to come. But we, we have to get there. And you know it's that cash flow challenge. Well, we need inventory. We need to. Here we are at the NetSuite conference and look at all these capabilities that could help us get there. But I can't. I can't do that. You know, the the priority is is paying employees and, yeah. and keeping inventory on the shelves. So you know we're always piecing things together. Whether it's you know debt financing and now uh, seeking investment capital. But you're looking at it. See, that's the thing. I can see other people who just say, "Well, I can't go to there because I couldn't afford it anywhere." Anyway, and at least you're able to say, you know, what this would allow us to do is X, Y, and Z, oh. and at least it kind of goes in your wish list. I'm so upset. I, I get so tired of people saying like, "Oh, it's on my bucket list." It's like, why don't you get a damn bucket list for your business? Because there should be a bucket list and say, yeah. you know, I want to work less 
and I want to automate more or I want to have process in place that allows me to do X. So that's my bucket instead of I want to go to Tahiti and have this, you know, it's like. No, we, you know, we, we, we burned all the bridges behind us and we're, you know. You know no, we, what we, he says is, what he means is our, our focus on our vision is so strong and we do not waver. I mean, every single day our team knows this. We talk about our big picture vision with our team members and our suppliers and everybody that we can, where we are going and what we see. And we know the possibilities and we continue to expand our thinking and our movement in those directions nice. because we're so convicted in our purpose around what the brand is yeah. about. So when you uh, get overwhelmed with some of these decisions and stuff, what do you guys do to uh, unpack or get your groove back or what do you do? Well, we're um, committed fitness people, so we, I think we both clear our minds to a degree by, you know. Running or something? Doing our own kind of thing. Okay. Well, all, all the above. Okay. I do a lot of, I revisit, I know I just said this, but I, I do, I revisit uh, the vision and the bigger picture every single morning. I, I meditate, I journal about it, and I focus on all the good things that are happening and the contributions that we are making. And I keep every note, every testimonial, every personal thing that I've ever received. So if I am having a day where I'm like, why am I doing right. this? I can read those and remind oh, myself, this is not about me or John. This is a much bigger uh, opportunity. And I have always believed because of the dog human connection and because there's a reason why people are so connected with their dogs. They get from their pets something they don't get from other people or in their lives in general. And if we can create that joy and that sense of peace and excitement in a person, imagine that ripple effect that yeah, occurs. Totally yeah, so that's what I feel, you know. And when people are scared of, of Amazon and, and their customers are in fact distracted because there's no other reason to go in their store other than to pick up a commodity, enter dog is good, right? People love their dogs. They don't love dog food, they love their dogs. So why not have a dog as good display? So you're having so, this, you're mining this data to know what sells in certain areas, that kind of it, and then bubbling it back to them? A lot, well, thing, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of it's not rocket science okay. be, because we know mm -hmm. the art and messaging is often geographically specific. You know, some of it might be fishing related, people that fish with their dogs or that sort of thing. And then there's kind of the, you know, total dog lover, got to dress like my dog kind of per, kind of mentality, right? There's different classifications of dog lovers when you look at it. Wow, who knew that? So, All right, yeah, well, but that makes sense. Well, yeah. yeah, yeah, well, we've been doing these observations and like I said, they're not rocket science. It's our observations, but they work, and, the, and people who don't do what we do don't necessarily understand because they've never had to think about it. But that's the kind of thing that we can tailor to, uh, you know, well, tell me about your location. Well, I have a thousand square feet. No, tell me about your location. Who are your, who's your customer? Who are, who's your cetera, customer? Right. Where, where do you live? Are you in a resort area where you've got people come in and they want to take stuff back to their pet sitter, for example? So those are things, those are things that, that we work with, but what we're doing is creating connection. Nice. I think that's the key that um, having that strategy, I'm always surprised when people go through and they'll um, they'll go to a show and then they'll bring in like a hundred pieces and you're like, don't do that. And it's like, why not? It's all new. It's like, because it'll get old and you can stage things, you know, it's, people are like, oh, Supreme is doing such a great job. These product drops every two weeks. Like, well, that's what merchandising is about. That's what a retailer does because then it's new for you and it's new for the audience and it's new for the, your associates so they can get excited about it. I mean, I, I think the thing that's uh, that you tap into is this idea that dog is good, that 
you know, dogs open their heart to us. Uh, most dogs, there's you know, those kind of nasty ones or old ones, but that feeling is what translates to the apparel, right? Which is not unlike your logo with the little, you know, little halo on his head and the whole bit like that. So, um, yeah, I think that's um, I think that's ultimately what that feeling that they can take back with them is what makes a difference. But it's not easy being a pet store right now, right? There's an awful lot of online retailers they could bring. I'm sure you hear people say they can get your merch online and why do I carry it in my store? You must have those conversations. So how do you... I would say not as, not as often as you think because it, that's just the way things are right now. Well, I would say that it's... It's discovery. In a store, I have discovery. So to your point, I'm going to go in my 80 pound of dog food, right, and lug it out. And then I see your display and it's like, oh, yeah, I could get that. But if I was on a website and I'm looking for dog food and I'm looking through 80 different products to get to the one, suddenly I saw your T-shirt be like, what the hell is that? But in a store, we accept that. It's like, oh, well, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. So I think it is yours. And they are different customers as well because the customer online is looking for that 80 pound, that's it, versus in a store, I'm open to whatever you have to open, which ultimately is how you help them out because you can help them uh, increase their number of items per sale and their average ticket, right? That's the goal. I mean, there's a lot of retailers out there that, um, one of my favorite questions to ask a retailer this time of year is, what are you doing for Mother's Day? And it doesn't matter who the retailer is, whether it's uh, an outdoor retailer, a resort store, a gift shop, or a pet store. When I ask that question, um, if they'll have something in mind as far as the mom, um, like gift stores are really good at Mother's Day, but most other stores don't even think about it. Like, what are you doing for the dog mom for Mother's Day? Because that's a huge, huge retail wow. holiday. Who knew? Right. And, but in the pet world, m mothers of fur babies, right. as they refer to them, right. they consider themselves dog mom. They talk to each other as dog mom. And so they could create a whole small set and a whole uh, strategy around engaging their customer for Mother's Day by just attending to the dog parent. And we create, we have a package like that for, for retailers that does come with a marketing strategy around it to help them you know, make this a thing for their stores. And those that have started to do this over the past couple of years, they're blown away because they, they don't they, think that way. Right, that, right. Oh yeah, the dog mom for Mother's Day. I like that. Mm -hmm. We have a patriotic line as well. So, okay. <clears throat> so you got that Memorial Day to do uh -huh, uh -huh. And then again, Veterans Day. So mm -hmm. that's, we make that available. And, and to one of the points made before is we can keep changing the mix, right? We have the agility because of doing all these things to change the mix. Now you can take a commodity store and not just necessarily pet. We sell into hardware stores. We sell into all kinds of places. Places that people previously didn't go in unless they needed something. Exactly. Now they go in because there's something that's going to be changed up, something that's different. There's a shopping. They'll go in there because there's a fun brand, not because they need dog food or a screwdriver. Right. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, no, I it's totally get experience. that. I mean, selling, you know, retail exists to answer customers one question, which is, what's new? So a lot of retailers have a tough time because the store looks and smells, let's be honest, looks and smells and feels like it's been here for 20 years. That's not a good thing because there's a lot of competitors out there that are doing it. So neither one of you have a licensing background. So... How does that work? Your first time you decide to sell it, because now you've got that, oh my God, they're gonna take our brand, and it's gonna go off to China, and it's gonna go on everything in Walmart, and we're gonna lose it all. I mean, those fears have to be in your mind, right? I mean, at some point. 
Yes, yes, and not just from licensees. Um, we've been knocked off a number of times. We've had legal tussles. Um, yeah, there there've been unpleasant, you know, <laughs> situations to work through. So, did you start with a lawyer? Did you say like find an IP lawyer and then go out into I don't know? There's a there's a show for them, a licensing show. Did you right. go there and then kind of shop it around, or did you keep it all the close to your chest and then decide? Yeah, we. Um, we actually got appro approached by a licensing agent. It actually happened a couple of times. And then um, I met with one that was not too far away in Irvine. And he said, hey, I saw your stuff at a store when I was on vacation in Hawaii. And I thought it had a really positive message. Let's talk. And I'm thinking, yeah, OK, another one. And it was like he was, he was genuine. He was smart. He, he just struck me as being a really honest guy. He said, I can't promise you anything. But here's what I can do for you. You're, hey, you're a brand new brand. No one knows who you are, but once you start knocking down a couple of good contracts, then things will start taking off. And don't expect overnight success. And it took a number of years before things started, people started coming to us. Yeah, that's okay. So starting with an agent um, was, was the way to go. He had all these contracts that just needed to be manipulated to, to fit a, whatever particular circumstance. Uh, we licensed with a, a big pet products manufacturer. Very, it was a very complex kind of contract. For us, it was complex, you know, with guarantees. So Absolutely. I want you to think about if you had a friend of yours, a friend of yours comes to you and says, oh, we want to open our own retail business or however you want to consider it, business like yours. What would you, uh, you're over at Starbucks, what would you tell them? A business like Dog is Good? A business. Let's uh, try to keep it a little, okay. little yeah. away from you, so you don't have to worry about the, mm -hmm. you know, they're trying to sue your husband. The first thing I always ask everybody that I work with, as far as um, them starting something, uh, the, I ask them to answer this question: What does success look like to you? Like, do you have that dialed in? And I don't mean just the success of your business, but how does that business fit into your lifestyle and who you are as a person? because it's very easy to grow something very quickly and successful and when you are in that spot of what you deem as success or what others deem as success, you may not be living the lifestyle that you wanna be living. So how can you create it from the get-go, know what uh, that vision is and reverse engineer it so that you actually achieve that. And then also asking the questions. And as John said earlier, it's not what you know, it's who do you know? Because there's so many resources that can help Put it into place and uh, getting the right mentorship there uh, for all those areas in order to to launch it to get to where you want it to well i want to go back to that because um you only have you only have 12 eggs of energy in your life that's mm -hmm. it 12 in a day that's it mm -hmm. eight go to the business there's only four for your daughter abby right yes, yeah abby. and you even joke about it on your website mm -hmm. but uh you know realistically that does, you know, people say, oh, well, you know, I can do it all. Realistically, you can't do it all. Realistically, either you have to have enough people behind you that allows you to do it all. But in the beginning, particularly, I think people um, uh, either A, like you said, think it's going to happen over time. I'm in my 25th year, for gosh sake, I'm in my best year so far. My 25th year, mind you, like, and not even realizing where I'm now was where I was. That wasn't even it, right? But also realizing that there were a lot of compromises that happened along that way. And if you've got a young family, um, that's, that's a different version of success. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really important to, to bubble up. What would you say to somebody? 
In addition to some of the elements that, that Gila spoke about, um, regardless of the business, they need to know um, what make, what's going to make theirs different. How can they differentiate themselves? No one's going to invent a new marketplace in, in, what, in the scenario you're talking about. So if you're going to go into this X business, how are you going to be different from everyone else? All right, I'm going to challenge you, John. I'm going to open a dog, a dog food and cat salon that will do dog grooming and um, dog training. We'll have treats and we'll have classes. And we'll have all kinds of events. We'll do doggy birthday parties. It'll be so great. Great. So how, how's that? <laughs> sound, yeah, it sounds good to me. But how are you going to be different than, than the people well, be who me. are already doing it? Yeah, see, that's, that's what I wanted to get to is that how's different than the people already doing it? Because most of you get an idea that's outside of where we already are, if that makes sense. So for me, it might be like, I could open a Mexican restaurant, it'd be great. Like, dude, you're not even a chef. Why do you think it's great? Oh, well, I love going to Mexican restaurants. Like, yeah, that's not the same as running it, to your point. And there's other people out there doing, there are, they've already planted the, the flag around the city here. Mm -hmm. So how are you gonna be different, right? And, and I think part of that is the kind of research that that individual does. So I would ask, also ask the question of who have you talked to? Who is doing what you are doing so well that you could have a conversation with? And it may not, obviously it may not be in your immediate area, but look around. If, if that was what that person wanted to create, a daycare, grooming, birthday party, adventure for dogs, um, they should be looking for who is the most successful by, my, by their standards. Right. Who is already doing exactly what I want to be doing and doing it really, really well? And I would want to have a conversation with them. How did you get there? Because the answers are all around. The shortcuts are available with the right questions to the right people. And then the other piece I think is, and this is one of our messages in Dog is Good, never walk alone. It's not where you walk, it's who walks with you. Who are you going to surround yourself with? If it's not employees, um, it, hopefully is a mentor of some sort and when you are at that in that position to bring on a team you know really betting how you want to pull your team together knowing what you want your company culture to be and the attitude and values that you want to hire better be congruent with yours and as well as the work ethic and the skill set that's true and i would just add one more thing which i'm sure john would have alluded to you damn well better know your numbers because uh it's all great to have a party and throw dog cookies and all that, but at the end of the day, how many widgets do I have to sell for me to live the life I want? And knowing, as we started out discussing originally, that cash flow idea that it's your money sitting on that, cat, on that sales floor, so how are you gonna sell the merchandise because it's just sitting there and you're waiting for someone to walk in I don't need a t-shirt that's 40 bucks. I don't need a rhinestone dog collar. I want it, but you're gonna have to find a way to let me let my guard down to browse in your store and then say, I want that. And I think that's where I see the opportunity for so many small retailers that there's just a lot of bad retailing going on. You know, me walking into your specialty pet store and it's okay for you to have some part-time employee who you begrudge paying minimum wage to behind the register on their phone and telling me, well, you know, they you know, they just go through them so much, I don't train them. And it's like, but this is your life, right? I mean, this is, theoretically, this is you. This is an embodiment of whatever you are. It's this thing, right? So um, I think that ultimately um, the products are certainly um, important, but I think we get caught up in the souvenirs of it. To me, that's a souvenir of a great experience. If I had a great experience in your store, I'm going to buy three or four shirts and I'm going to be open to all the other trinkets that you have, and that's going to be great. 
But make no mistake, it's not just about that. You've got to create some kind of a feeling like people have with your brand, right? Exactly. There's a feeling that comes from that. So uh, tell me something good about retail. We'll start with Gila. Uh, I think retail is in a great position these days. I know that there is a lot of buzz about competing with online, but I think the savvy retailer who knows how to stay relevant is out there creating experiences for their customers. And um, I, I think that if they are coming from a place of how they can serve their customer better and engage their customer on a different level, that they're gonna to continue to see to see growth. I mean, there's so many fun products out there, there really are, and I as a customer, I actually don't shop online that much. Uh, probably much to John's happiness, I really actually don't shop that much <laughs> in general, but I love to walk in and um, be able to see things and to be able to see things merchandise well and have it grab my attention. Absolutely. John, what would you add? Tell me something good about retail. Every time you you know you open up the business page, the store's downsizing, and this one's closing fifteen hundred, and this one's buying this one, and they're going to close five hundred stores, and even stores that we sell into. Oh, we're doing a major reorganization, and you know we're looking for stuff like yours. We're dropping stuff, whatever. It's always it's always bad news, but it's not bad news. It's it's all if you look at it, and the stores that are starting to fall off the radar are either a overbuilt, or maybe they're in malls, and malls are kind of fall. They went into favor whenever 1950s, 1960s, and now they're falling out of favor. They're still going to come back, though. But they, anyway, yes, they they very well can. Um, retail is not dead. Boring retail yeah. is dead. And if you look at some of the other trends that are out there. It, why is Amazon opening stores? Because they can't get to that customer online, but that customer is still there. And there's brands, is it, what, what's the eyeglass one? Warby, Warby Parker. Warby, right, they have stores. Um, there's clothing brands. Glossier, CoverGirl, there's a million of them that are opening so, direct, direct. Exactly, so if retail is dead, or if, if brick and mortar retail is dead, then why is this happening? Well, success leaves clues, right? It's the rise of what they call craft brands, right? Of which I would say we are one. They're brands that create experience. Uh, a um, analogy I like to use, you know, the exit through the gift shop mentality, where you just came off the crazy ride and now you're walking through the gift store and you buy this tchotchke kind of thing, but it has so much meaning to you because it was the experience. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. Well, thanks very much for joining me today, John Thank and Gila. You. I really appreciate it. And uh, how can we find out more about you and your products? Dogisgood.com. That's where everything is. All right. Well, that was easy enough. Mm -hmm. Thanks very much. Thank you. Thanks. That brings us to the close of another episode of Tell Me Something Good About Retail. I'm Bob Vibbs, your host, known as the Retail Doctor, based in the United States. Tune in next week when we have another set of movers, shakers, influencers, vendors, and brick-and-mortar retailers, all there to make you a smarter retailer. I was attending Shop Talk 19 in Las Vegas last month when I caught up with Roy Erez. CEO of Loop Commerce. We discussed his experience selling personal computers back in the day and disrupting how commerce thinks about shopping for someone else right now. Let's have a listen.
Thanks for joining me on this podcast where today I speak to Chris Basolo, CEO of Need Supply, on the new luxury millennial customer he serves, their buying habits, and starting up a new retail business. Let's get going. Today I'm talking to Tammy Ketterman from Ketterman's Jewelers in Leesburg, Virginia. Tammy talked about the importance of sense triggers, events that produce sales, and customer loyalty, which in her case includes 326 rum cakes. Let's get to it. 